This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He is the man that, much like me, is always cheering for chaos, and tonight we may get it. Get your marshmallows and your sticks ready for the Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. He is the one and only Greg Wyshynski of uh, ESPN and a little MPSW Redux here each and every Wednesday on the program. Hello, Wish. What would be chaos in this case? Uh, The Panthers uh, sweeping and or raking the leaves or uh, Mm. the leaves, the leaves starting to rally uh, in this series. What would be more chaotic? Well, here, here's what I think. I'm glad you brought this up because here's uh, the the, uh, the doom scenario that I think for the Toronto okay. Maple Leafs. Okay, I was mentioning this All in right. the first episode. Yeah. Here's the doom scenario. The doom scenario actually involves the Maple Leafs winning tonight. Right? Yeah. That could lead to the doom scenario here. You know what the doom scenario is? Losing Friday at home and all of that mm. in the building and piling out onto the streets. And everybody who's in a position to make to make decisions, watching and hearing that in the arena, I think that you know, like I, I, one of the things that we wonder about is, okay, what can they do to keep the hounds at bay here? And I don't even think it's winning the game tonight. And it's got to be winning the game tonight. It also has to be winning the game on Friday in Toronto. You know, what's the old saying? If you're going to lose or if you're going to be bad, don't be bad at home. Do all your bad on the road. Keep like the successful teams sort of, you know, not that it's something you can plan, but you sort of figure out like if we're going to have a clunker of a game, don't do it in front of your own fans. I think the doom scenario for the Maple Leafs wish, honestly, is winning tonight and losing the next game at home. Yeah, as far as public protest, embarrassment, that kind of thing. For maximum chaos, though, it would be losing in seven. Yes. Because I, the thing I don't like about this round for the Leafs is that it has created a sense of concise finality that I didn't think we'd get for them after they won the first round. But by that I mean, if they get swept out by mm-hmm. the Florida Panthers, you, you know what's going to happen. There's going to be regime change. There's going to be think pieces written yep. about how Mitch Marner is a peripheral player. There's going to be a lot of, of sort of like chest-thumping, uh, you know, finality to the season. And that's not fun. What's fun is if they rally in the series, they push this thing to seven, and then they lose. Because then we get back to a place of confusion like we had after the first round. Like, in all f- seriousness, uh, you have a general manager who doesn't have a contract beyond the season. When that happens, you say to yourself, okay, that's probably not going to be a person who comes back. But then you win the first round, and it's like, well, plan the parade. To lose in four games to the Panthers puts us right back where we were at the beginning of the playoffs, which is that a loss is a loss Correct. is a loss, and we have to change everything because of it. To get to seven games means that there will be a seed of doubt planted. Where we say perhaps we run it back for another season, and that's <laughs> oh, the kind so. of thing I want to see. That's the brand of chaos yeah. that I want. I don't. I don't like. I don't like them being steamrolled. I like them losing in a heartbreaking manner. This is all too much shock and awe, Merrick. Hmm. Okay. So that that that's an that's an intriguing one. Then. So you want an element of the Maple Leafs being frozen here. More than just, okay, now they've lost and here are the decisions. Not the decision isn't should we cut, but how deep does the cut go? And, you know, is Nylander taking Landeskog's place in Colorado? And, you know, as I mused about in the first hour, does Ryan O'Reilly sign with the Chicago Blackhawks to help shepherd Connor Bedard into his NHL career? 
You don't want that. You don't want nothing. You don't want anything that definitive. You want one of these like, eh, maybe we should, maybe we like. That is a frustrating place to. I don't know if that's chaotic as much as it is frustrating. I mean, the chaos is just firing bodies out the door, and then where does Dubas end up? Does uh, you know, does does Fenway say, hey, you know, we can't, we can only wait for so long. We need an answer on what's happening with Kyle Dubas. Does the uh, the Remington Group in Ottawa all of a sudden say, hey, come along for the ride, young Jedi Dubas on the uh, on the good ship Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> like that to me is. That to me is chaos, isn't it? To you, I put it. I put it at like six to one that Dubas has dressed like Deadpool at some point in his life, just like at a Halloween party, <laughs> like six to one, because he needs he needs a costume a that obscures chance. his identity, right? He needs a costume that obscures his identity. So I imagine when Kyle goes out for Halloween, yeah. it's Deadpool, it's Kylo Ren, it's something where he can wear a mask but still seem pretty cool, and obviously it's going to be nerd centric. I mean, knowing him as we do, Merrick, there's a better than good chance he probably dressed up like a luchador at some point for Halloween. Um, I would because he is a huge so. wrestling fan. Makes sense. Yeah. So, but, but no, no, no. I, I think your opinion is a good one, but I, but again, I, I, I think, I think it will all, and all of it inevitably leads to chaos. Like all of it inevitably leads to whatever the next iteration of this team and its desperation to chase a championship is going to look like. All of it leads there, but getting there, the easy way is is firing the coach and the GM. The hard way, the more interesting way, is if there's a legitimate argument to be made that they stay. And we had that argument a week ago, and now we mm. don't have it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like we like a week ago, <laughs> it was very much a, a, a question of all right, well, now things have progressed in a positive way. We have won our first playoff series since the George W. Bush administration, and let's see where this all takes us. And then it, they, they ran into a wall. They were like the marching band from Animal House. They got they just led into a wall, and all of their trombones are bent. They don't know what to do. Um, and so I liked it better when there was that sort of path forward that, as insane as it may have been, you know, to keeping these guys around. Mm. And now I feel like if they get swept tonight, they're obviously not going to be here anymore. Which is the big player decision, you think? That's the one Marner. that I keep going back and forth on. Everyone's, everyone's, that's the one. That's the one. Well, because now... I was now... mentioning him before, before the break because he's, he's the guy, too, that has to stay... Like he's the guy that you know lives in Toronto year round. He's I mean, Tavares does too, but you know he's the one that really seems to emotionally wear this thing at the end of all these playoff failures. Right, and and now we've gone from being a scapegoat to being a guy where there's now a body of statistical evidence that you should be the sta- scapegoat. To then the next phase of that is you are the sacrifice at the altar of of playoff failure. And I, I, listen, I remember, I, as you know, I covered a team for a very long time that had itself a fancy core of talented players named the Washington Capitals. And at some point, there had to be a blood yeah. sacrifice, and that blood sacrifice was Alexander Seven. At some point, somebody had to be ejected from the core or else the core would melt down in nuclear fissure. But you know, And I think that person's going to end up being martyr because now I think there's consensus on it. But you know what's interesting about that analogy and that comparison, and we've seen this with other teams too. And it's you know it's taken a while for them to uh, to pop and to and to get there and to win Stanley Cups. Normally, when you start talking about a team, 
when their Stanley Cup window is open. And I'll take Washington. I'll, I'll, I'll use your example here. So the Washington Please. Capitals, the first time we thought they had a shot at winning the Stanley Cup was 2010. Remember that opening round? Best of seven. Yeah, Capitals in three. That's how devastating it's going to be. Montreal doesn't belong in the building. Um, <laughs> right. And the Montreal Canadiens upset them. And by the time they won the Stanley Cup, who's the coach? Who's behind the bench? B. Trots. B. Trots, right? And getting there, you had a lot of other coaches, right? So it wasn't Boudreaux, it was Hunter and Oates, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> With this Maple Boy, was it Hunter? Team, right? This may this Maple Leafs team, who I think only brought one tie to Washington, like I ah, know I'm going back. I'm just bringing one tie, <laughs> and I'm going to wear the same tie every single game because I know I'm going back to London. Um, but this team has been through all of this with the one coach. Like, do you not find that? Do you not find that odd? Like Kyle Dubas inherited Mike Babcock and made his one coaching hire. And here we are, a decision being made on Dubas. And normally, when you look at a general manager and, uh, and his career in the NHL, normally from the, from the time they get hired to the time they get fired, and everybody does, usually there's like at least two or three coaches that they've gone okay. through. Dubas is going to have one if this goes the way we think this thing is heading. Does that not strike you as odd? Yeah, I, I understand your argument, but I'll counter with this because I'm dealing with this with the Rangers right now. Who okay. who is out there? Who who is out there that you bring into Toronto and and they become the Barry Trotz to the Capitals? Because Barry Trotz isn't that guy. He's now a general manager, and Joel Quenville's not that guy because he is in jail in NHL jail, um, and Mike mm-hmm. Sullivan isn't that guy <laughs> because. If he goes anywhere, it's probably the Rangers. And I am absolutely loving the Pelican briefs being written about how we'll get Mike Sullivan from the Penguins to the Rangers, by the way. So who is that guy for the Leafs? And is that guy <laughs> not Is that guy not somebody who's in the top 10 in all-time coaching wins? Is that guy finding your John Cooper, for lack of a better comparison? And is that person Spencer Carberry? Ah, I knew you're going to get there. See, the the one thing that makes it difficult for the Maple Leafs that doesn't that isn't difficult with a team like the Washington Capitals, which is where Carberry's been married here um, for a while, is it's it 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 has happened before. You know this with your New Jersey Devils and Larry Robinson for a coach to go from the assistant to the head coaching position. Because mm-hmm. there's an element of, hang on a second, he was my best friend giving me noogies in the parking lot two weeks ago, and now he's bag skating <laughs> me and says, get out of my office. Right? Right. It's right. so a little bit of a, like, what happened to you, man? We are having, you know, barbecues at each other's house every weekend, and now you know, you're screaming at me and, you know, throwing you know, a coffee pot at me in your office. Right. And there's always the hesitation of hiring the assistant because you don't want more of the same. But the moment that went out, but wait a minute, but wait a minute, hang, 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 hang on a second here, though. I mean, wasn't Sheldon Keefe, though, kind of a Carberry to begin with? I mean, he's a guy that came in from the American Hockey League, but this isn't someone that came in with a long NHL resume. Right. No, I, no, I understand what you're saying, but like, but, but, okay, let me, let me put it this in these terms. Carberry is your flavor of 
of the year right now. Like he is now ascended to that level of we got to get this guy. We got to find this guy. This guy is the next hot shot young coach, right? Because he's 41. Mm-hmm. Keith. He Keith was not that guy. Keith did not have that cachet when he when he took over the Leafs. He his cachet was he's Kyle's guy. Really, <laughs> that was his cachet when he took over the Leafs. Yeah. Like Car- Carby, the, Carberry would be the, a different what, vibe. Called their cup. Yeah, no, I'm not saying he. I am not saying it's it's hockey nepotism. Despite ninety percent of hirings being hockey nepotism, I'm saying <laughs> that if Carberry got the job, it would not be because he's Kyle's yeah. guy. It would be because we are going to rethink things. We are going to hand the keys to a 41-year-old, right. and we're going to do this in a different way. That's what I'm saying the difference is. Now, the question is whether or not that works or if that's what they need. Because to use your capitals comparison, they hired a coach that had, what well, at the time, what it had to be in the top five as far as number of NHL games coached, right? Trots? So, oh yeah. If you fire the coach and you say it's the coach and you keep the core together, then then you've got to find someone that's going to be able to unlock what's not been unlocked. And let me go back to Marner for a second because I'll give you another example, okay. another real life example. When the Florida Panthers acquired Matthew Kachuk, they had to give away somebody on a Marner level let's say in the Marner conversation and Jonathan Herberto. And the reason they gave him up is you have to give to get, but the reason they gave him up is that for this particular player, Matthew Kachuk, they determined that they needed a Matthew Kachuk type player to win in the playoffs and that they could not necessarily win in the playoffs with a Jonathan Huberto type player. And are those going to be the kinds of conversations they have now about Mitch Marner based on, the reputation and based on the numbers we can point at. Mm-hmm. You see, the the interesting thing about that is this is a sort of continuation, like the 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 Kachuk deal. That was a continuation of something he started from pretty much day one with the Florida Panthers, right? What do we always mm-hmm. say about the Panthers? Soft skill, really skilled, mm-hmm. and you know what? Teams would go into Florida, maybe they'd win, maybe they'd lose but they knew they weren't getting a bruise, right? And that's not going to work mm-hmm. in the postseason. That was always the reputation of the Florida Panthers. And then the first thing, I think it was the first thing that uh, that Bill Zito did is he went out and got Patrick Hornquist and then just started going right. out and getting miserable players to play against. And here, <laughs> so I'll, I'll go you one more because I've been thinking, hang on, I've been thinking a lot about this. And here's, Red and here's where the sort Sam of, Bennett. the, the, the pen... Keep going, man. It doesn't stop. And, and, uh, Ryan Lomberg, like it doesn't. It doesn't stop, man. So, so the the, pen, the, the pendulum has has kind of swung back here. In in one thing that you and I have talked about for for a lot of years. Now, the gamble that the Maple Leafs and, and Kyle Dubas have always made is that skill will emerge, and eventually, you know, our process leads to you know our skill will eventually be dominant, and that's where we're going to have our success. But here's what's happened in the NHL. This is fascinating. The thing that I've that I believe is happening in the NHL right now is. And I've always, I think I've mentioned this to you a couple of times. When you go to an NHL game, when you go to a Division One game, when you go to a CHL game, you go to hockey anywhere. The first thing that stands out is all the bad skaters are gone. And everybody plays with a high level of skill. So what's happened in the NHL now is everybody can skate. Everybody has a high level of skill. 
you can make the argument that those two areas wash on either side. And the question now comes down to not who has more skill or not who is a better skater, but there seems to be a baseline for every team that's more similar than different. So what we're seeing now is, and this is where it's fascinating, this goes back to like where the pendulum has swung back the other way a little bit here is what else can you give me? We can all right. skate. Everybody is skilled. Everybody thinks the game similar, if not identical. What else can you give us? And is that thing, you know, this old school idea that we have about being tough, being hard to play against along the boards, being physical, maybe even now and then doing something dumb as an investment in your reputation. I think that's <laughs> where we're at in the game. I right. really do. Are you with me or against me on that one? That right now we're to play. No, everyone's I, got skill and speed and skating and all that. And now it's what else can you do for me? It's the intangible stuff without question. And, and so then the question becomes, can you, can you add that to your repertoire somehow? Let me, and I'll give you an example. Like Jack Hughes, it took four years for him to become a first overall type star player from a production standpoint. And it, it took a long time for him to figure out how to play. Right. And now he's, he's a little toughy. Like he gets into scraps with Ajo. He plays really well along the boards. He's not getting physically dominated. Like there's a part of it that's physical maturation, yeah. but there's also a part of it of just like going through the ringer of the National Hockey League and figuring out how it is you need to play to do the things you want to do offensively. And and Jack's figured it out. And I'm not saying that Jack is Kachuk. Not a lot of people are. But there's an element to his game that certainly yeah. wasn't there in his early seasons. And the thing about the Leafs is that... Yeah, you see rather than rather than having that in their core they've tried to augment it they tried to augment it with Felino they tried to augment it with O'Reilly and the conversation inevitably comes back to do you have to augment it by shipping out somebody in your core to bring in that element because it won't blossom amongst those four yeah i, I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule on it, I, I think it's different from team to team, but we all know that you know this is copycat league. And listen, we saw this at trade deadline. What was everybody looking for at deadline? What was everybody searching for at deadline? Players that are nasty to play against: Hathaway, mm -hmm. Domi, Chino, Bertuzzi. Everybody wanted one, and if you can get two, grab two. Didn't matter how much it's going to cost. Yeah, you. because these are the players that you quote unquote win with. I don't think you just you just yeah, but you just you just named a bunch of people that are at top top golf right now though like, like that's I mean there should be a conversation too about you know the fact of the matter is that a lot of the teams that did dabble in that yeah. toughness are no longer playing in the playoffs no I, I I think I think toughness matters I think toughness is paramount in the playoffs you know like like the idea of of you know the time and space for your skill players being limited and and having to figure out ways around it and scoring the kind of goals that Kachaka scored and all that stuff like mm -hmm. th that's paramount. But I think there's also a question as to whether or not you can graft that onto your DNA or if you have to inherently be that team. I think the, what we're seeing in this Panthers no, series, to, I think you have, is like I you said, you Florida. I think you have to be that. Team. Florida is inherently that team. You know, Vegas in, in a lot of ways is inherently that team. And and I think Dallas in some ways is inherently that team based on the core of their of their of their you know players. It's like I, a lot of teams 
try to figure out how to like change it up by importing it and i don't know if you can import it it's um i think you can it's just tougher because look the florida panthers have like they went out and grabbed sam bennett from calgary they went out and grabbed matthew kachuk from calgary like right. they went and got their but this isn't this isn't and right but you just named two of their top eight scorers from the regular season like this is not going out and grabbing you know garnet hathaway at the deadline like these are these are very much like in the dna in the identity of who the panthers are and, and I, i'm the one team i have we have mentioned is carolina like carolina is built to be that team too with an inherent nastiness and and physicality and and it's it's who they are now it also comes from their coach which is also the conversation we just had which is can can it be a trickle down from the person behind the bench and in Carolina's case I very much believe it can be but the Rod Brindamore's of the world don't grow on trees the Caps tried one with Dale Hunter let's, and it was a disaster yeah let's um let, let's get there then that, the the Carolina New Jersey game that we saw last night um four goals in 5 minutes just you know getting speed bagged make it stop make it stop make it stop this is a Carolina Hurricanes team that like I don't think we looked at that 8-4 game and said, yeah, this is the way this series is going to go. Uh, not at all. Um, quite the opposite. And by the way, can you think of a time where you've seen a team score three shorthanded goals and lose? <laughs> well, r- rare is the team that gets the we opportunity on the to weekend. play against a, a, a Luke Hughes power play that does not care about what's happening the other way. It just does not care. It was incredible. Like, they just did not care. Uh, To use Lindy Ruff's term last night, they had a lot of people go rogue. Um, So, like, a couple things about about last night. And by the way, very kind of you to call it a game. Um, uh, I talked to Dougie Hamilton about this afterwards. Yeah, the match, the, the event. I talked to Dougie Hamilton about this afterwards, and he made the point that when the Devils lose... They really lose. Do you realize the Devils in six losses in the postseason have been outscored 32 to 7? I think it is. Um, That, to me, is indicative of a young team that once they get down, especially against an opponent that might have an all-world goaltender or, in the Carolina Hurricanes' case, is a great defensive team, they get real boo-boo-faced, to use your term, and they stop skating, as Nico Heischer said the Devils did in Game 4. So that's what's going on with the Devils. If they are not engaged, if they are not within reach of a lead, they fold like a lounge chair. Now, the Hurricanes, meanwhile, um, boy, they played well yesterday. Like, they marauded them. You could see as mm-hmm. the game wore on, they got to their forecheck. They were putting, oh, yeah. as Jacob Slavin put it, stress on the Devils. And and they keep on scaring up offense. I don't know if if, if the, do you think this is Bill Simmons Ewing theory, where if you take Patchy Reddy Svechnikov out of the lineup, everybody just ups their game offensively. Because there is no way in hell I thought the Carolina Hurricanes would hit the over <laughs> as much as they did in these playoffs. Did yeah. you? So what you're what you're saying if uh, if Tara Vinen suddenly um, you know the example I always give is you know uh, travels to Lourdes and bathes in holy water to heal his body and comes back ready to play you're saying don't put that guy in hide hide that player because everyone's playing at a level knowing that they have to compensate for no Patrovetti no Tara Vinen, no Svechnikov. I think it's more along the lines of like I mean he's not a he's he's a top, I mean he's a top six forward. But he's not like Svetch or, or Patch as far as like 
goal scoring, right? Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not quite that thing. I don't know. I, I've just been really impressed with the way that they've managed to find offense and create offense and do the right things. Who I was thinking about this. Who who is your MVP for them right now, Carolina? Do you think it's Martinuk or do you think it's it's Burns or somebody else? This this series, it's Martinuk. Right. Like, what, what was this? What was the stat? What was the stat that came out last night? He has the most points of anybody in a second round after only scoring what was it, like one point or zero points in the first round. Like it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. The, yeah without yeah, it's right incredible. Now. Yeah. He's and and I, listen, I'm I'm happy for the guy. Like I I I like Jordan Martinuk. I like him. I like him as a player, um, as a member of the media. He's outstanding to talk to. He's a go-to interview. He's hilarious. Quote, He's yeah. thoughtful. And Elliot and I Elliot and I talked to him, uh, but a month and a half ago, I think it was, and he told this great Gordy Howe story when he was playing for the Vancouver. You'll love this one, which he's playing for the Vancouver Giants, and Gordy Howe was one of the owners of the team. And Gordy Howe was there on Gordy Howe night. He got to meet Gordy Howe, <laughs> and what happened to him in the game? Like, what would be perfect? Gordy Howe hat trick. Bingo! There we go. And he got the Gordy Howe hat trick in front of Gordy Howe. Like, talk about like a, a dream scenario for someone. Anyhow, um, I'm thrilled with the guy, but he's he's not my MVP. Brent Burns is my MVP on this team right now. I would Brent agree Burns with that. Consistently from agree. game one to what we saw to what we saw last night, Brent Burns. And again, there's going to be a lot of Norris remorse from people as we see the Carolina Hurricanes continue and the Dallas Stars with Miro Haskinen. Um, but Brent Burns had an outstanding season, and he's even better Norris in the remorse. playoffs. Which he's been so good. Nor- <laughs> I, you're right about Norris remorse. Like I've seen that. I heard that about about Heiskanen last <laughs> night. I didn't have either of those guys in my top five. They don't have remorse. It was a very, it was a very robust season for the Norris. I'll give you my Norris right now, yeah. alphabetically: Darlene, Fox, uh, Carlson, Lindholm, Makar was my top five. And I've, I'm comfortable with all of them. Uh, where did I put my... Uh, hang on, I've got it in a different folder. Uh, Just scraps of paper all written around. Here. Oh, here we go. Here so, we go. Here we go. Uh, for the Calder, on, I, I got, had veneers. Uh, uh, here, here's, what, here's what I got. I got for, for Norris yeah. in, no, in no particular order. Uh, uh-huh. I have a Haskinen, I have a Hughes, I have a Fox, I have a Makar, and I have a Carlson. So you do not have a Lindholm or a Darlene. That's where we diverge. That's understandable. Yes. That's understandable. It's a tough one, man. I get That's going to be very, the one where everyone's like, very, yeah, I, I hate my Norris ballot. Very robust season for defensemen. I don't think there was, there was necessarily a wrong answer. You had to give it to Makar. I mean, like, Makar is the one that I found to be the most divisive only because of, like, the number of games that he played. Games. But he was demonstrably here, one of the top the five thing. defensemen when he played. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're, you're right. Like, if you ask me, like, who's the best defenseman in the NHL right now? Like, who's the best defenseman? I'll tell you, it's Kale Makar. But did he have the best season? That's the only point of difference. No, he didn't have the best season. He didn't have the best season. No. No, but he's the best defenseman in the NHL. I'll take him over everybody else. You would too. I don't know. I I mean, my team is Luke Hughes now, so. (laughs) (laughs) 
did what did you think of Lindy Ruff yesterday after that game? Like there was like an element of sort of resignation. There was an element of like there was this. <laughs> Lindy Ruff must be an awful poker player because you can just like read Lindy Ruff. Like there's this like, there's like an exhaustion, like knowing that, you know, it could be really close to the end here. And he's had, uh, you know, the analogy we always use is, you know, toilet seat at a stag and doe, up and down, up and down, up and down. Like what a season it's been for Lindy Ruff from the fire Lindy chant to the, uh, you know, to the, uh, the apology from the fans to the winning streak um, to this team, having an insanely good regular season, you know, battling right down to the end for tops in the metropolitan Jack Hughes emerges as a superstar in the national hockey league. The goaltending gets itself righted until the playoffs started. Um, was there an element of Lindy Ruff Oof. yesterday? Just like that was just seemed like a coach that has been through the ringer this year and is exhausted at this point. Did you, did you get that sense? He, he was great. I mean, he basically wrote my story last night, but I got, he said something that I opined myself in the previous round, which is that this is a young team. And whenever there was expectations placed on them, they didn't do well. That's why game seven against the Rangers surprised me. And maybe it, in their minds, they thought they were the underdog. Mm-hmm. Maybe in their minds, they thought they weren't supposed to win that game. And that's why they won it. I don't know. But like you look at the first two games at home against the Rangers, they stunk. The first two games after beating the Rangers, they stunk. And he put voice to that last night by wondering whether or not they were overwhelmed by the moment. And after you beat the hell out of the Hurricanes in game three and everyone expects that you're going to do the same thing you did in the previous yeah. round and expects that you figured out how to get through that Hurricanes defense and then you don't and you play as badly as you did in game four, I think it's right to ask, is this just a young team that doesn't know how to deal with the expectations yet? And he asked it last night, so I didn't feel crazy asking it in the previous round. Mm-hmm. I feel this. I feel the same way. You know, after the Rangers series, even even before, even just taking that Rangers series as deep as possible, you know, if they would have if they would have ended up losing that series, I still would have said, you know what, great playoff for the New Jersey Devils. After the season they had last season, where they probably should have been in the playoffs, but everything, all the good work they did got undone by goaltending. They finally got yeah. in there and had a real good first round against the New York Rangers. Had they lost that series, I still would have said, you know what? Good job by the New Jersey Devils. And I'll say the same thing this year. Look, they just met a, they just ended up meeting a team that's a legitimate Stanley Cup contender as injured as they might be with key players out. This is still no matter what happens to you. Mm-hmm. If this, you know, if next game, you know, Carolina just dances all over them again and they're out, I still look at this season and say what a success for the New Jersey Devils. Don't you? Like, I know it stings for New Jersey Devils fans. You don't want the, you want the dream to end. Oh, I don't want to wake up. This is great. But do you not look at this and say, what a great season for the New Jersey Devils. Well, speaking as a Devils fan, after you beat the Rangers in seven games, uh, it's all gravy. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, like the, the, De- the Devils lost in the Stanley Cup final, the LA Kings, and half the fan base was like, eh, it's okay. The Henrique goal happened. Like, that's just the mindset. That's the mindset. I, I was talking to somebody who I know from Alabama uh, yes, yesterday, and he, he likened it to an Auburn yeah. fan being okay with whatever happens in a bowl game if they beat Alabama. It's the same vibe. 
Um, but I think on top of that, Merrick, it's also mm. the idea of the Devils not having a window to win, but the Devils having a barn door to win. Like Hughes is in his yeah. sixth game as a, as a defenseman. Simone Nemish hasn't even really played yet in the National Hockey League. Yeah. He's a black ace. Like the idea that there is, I mean, you can't even see the end of the runway, let alone you know the the window to win as far as how much this team has in front of it. Um, but now they have a better idea of like what works and what doesn't, and where the tweaks have to be made. And it's going to be really interesting. Like I wonder, Jeff Merrick, at the end of the day, yes, sir, with this with mm. this collection this this hoarding of prospects your Holtzes and your Hugheses and your Nemishes and all these people if there isn't a goaltender that they push a lot of chips in to acquire in the offseason given how undermining the goaltending performance in these playoffs were you think they need to do that I'm just saying that maybe the Winnipeg Jets would like to rethink a thing or two about their roster. I think there's going to be a lot of teams. And I know I always hear about it from, you know, Los Angeles Kings fans that count every nickel and dime and quarter and say, how do you propose doing this? Oh, um, and you're, but I yeah. listen, man, I think there's going to be a host of teams lining up for Connor Hallibuck. Like, I can't think of one player uh, post game. Or player, you know, uh, uh, closeout day interview like Connor Hellebuck's that put the entire NHL on notice. He essentially said, get me out of here. Who wants me? Yeah, pretty much. Now, let me ask you a question because you mentioned the Kings. Because the Kings have also been linked with the Vancouver Canucks and their goaltender, Thatcher Demko. What would you do if you were the Devils and called what if you called up the Canucks and you're like, this Demko fellow, pretty good, kind of young, fits into what we need as far as age range. What do you want for him? Yeah. And then the Canucks come back and say, well, we'd be more than happy to give you our goaltender if you double the number of Hugheses on our roster. Would you make that deal? <laughs> See, I, I don't, because I, I, if you're the New Jersey Devils, you're, you're dealing from a, a position of prospects and I don't know uh-huh. that that's what Vancouver like. Vancouver has designs like they're they're making the playoffs. Do you? I mean, Would that's, you, like, that, you that's were, not exactly a secret right. that's out right. there. Like I don't think that. And okay. and considering how okay. Demko played down down the stretch, and if Demko is okay. healthy, there's a chance he gets you into the playoffs. Ready? Vanacek okay. and Brat for Demko. Vanacek and Brat for Demko. Oh, I could see Brat playing with Elias Pettersson all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, the thing wow. about Brat is that you still you still have this like, you know, uh, again, I, Devils fans don't want to give up Jesper Brat. Obviously, he's a fantastic player, despite not being not. all that loud in the postseason. But the problem is, is that once again, he's yeah. an RFA. There's arbitration rights. You're dealing with a guy where you've had at least now two different contract headaches with him. It's not out of their own possibility that they're going to trade him at some point. But what if, what if you went to Vancouver and said, Mm. Demko for Brat and Vanacek? 
I, I, I've listened. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this to you before last year. I, I, part of me really thought that uh, the Vancouver Canucks would offer sheet Brat once upon a mm. time. Well, now they won't Play have dirty to. hockey with them. Now they can just have them, and band. they all have to they do is give up their 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 elite goaltender. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. We see what uh, how when you have when you hold on to it is sacred. That's uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, okay, a couple of minutes I have left with you. I, I do want to ask you about Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, and you know, I was I was I think one of the things that we're wondering about here is. You know, what does Kyle Davidson do around Connor Bedard? Like, what is the team that he puts around Bedard? It's much like, you know, the Penguins 2005 get Crosby, and then all of a sudden everything was in the service of building around Sidney Crosby. And sometimes that means, you know, high-priced veterans coming in on one, two-year deals, um, um, you know, maybe making sure that, uh, that Sidney Crosby is in a very comfortable place to live. And, you know, you wonder already, you know, who Connor Bedard is going to live with in Chicago next season. Um, in the first hour I put forward, there's one name that I've been thinking about ever since Monday, Wish, with uh, Chicago Blackhawks, and that is uh, impending free agent Ryan O'Reilly. If that mm-hmm. could be a fit there as someone shepherding young Connor Bedard into the into the NHL. Um, how did you see everything on Monday, though? And, and what do you think's next for the Blackhawks here? No, I was sad <laughs> like like two things real quick obviously like we know karma doesn't exist or else this wouldn't have happened and then the other thing is yep. for those who, who are constantly talking about the national hockey league fixing the lottery I, I don't care like if you know you don't believe the reporters in the room or you don't believe the process you're like if we don't see the lottery balls it didn't happen i don't care about all of it if they're gonna fix the lottery one of these guys would have ended up with the Coyotes. I, I, I cannot stress this enough that they did not fix the lottery. And I don't want the counter argument to be that it would be too obvious if that happened. The Coyotes are terrible. He, they would have had a great cover story. They stink and they got the first pick. So if they were going to fix the lottery, it would be to get an arena built in Tempe is why they'd fix the lottery. Now, back on the Blackhawks, it took Crosby two seasons yeah. to make the playoffs. It took Connor... Yeah. Again, Bedard needs to change oh, his name. There's it's... only one Connor. It took it took Connor two seasons to make the playoffs. <laughs> Crosby had Malkin and and Latang and Flurry, and then and then McDavid had Drysital. Okay. Yeah. It took Ovechkin three seasons because he started out skating with like Matt Pettinger, and it took Jack Hughes four seasons. The Blackhawks to me are a lot closer to the Ovechkin Capitals than they are to the Crosby Penguins, and so. I think they should be smart. They should stink next year. They, they've already made their money based on how many tickets they've sold for people that want to see Bedard. I don't think they should be in any rush to surround him with anything but serviceable talent that could put the puck in the net occasionally or more to the point, maybe feeding the puck. The guy I'd go for, dude, more than Ryan O'Reilly, is Tyler Bertuzzi. Like Tyler Bertuzzi on a line with Bedard, given how Bedard shoots the puck, would be sick. And that's the guy they should probably sign. But I am not really dabbling too much further into UFAs. I am hoping to be bad. I'm hoping to do right by Connor Bedard in his first season. But your your outlook, having stripped this thing down to the foundations, the, the termite-ridden foundations of, of, the, of a team, <laughs> is to be two years away from contention at, at a minimum. I don't disagree. The The only thing that I wonder about, too, is um, 
who's he living with in the first year? And is that player there now? And that's one of the reasons why I bring up someone like Ryan O'Reilly. Like one of the most important things you do as an organization is, okay, we're bringing him in, and okay, so he's coming from the Regina Pats and living with billets who are taking care of everything. Now he's in the NHL in Chicago, and we're just going to say, all right, you're on your own, kid. Here's where the rink is, and you know, make, make sure you're not late. Like, is there someone I just, that's I just, obvious I'm, I'm... on this roster? And if not, do you have to get it? When you go down these roads, I assume you know more than me. And I assume you know more than a lot of people. I assume that you are inf- doing informed no. speculation. Uh, okay, so then explain no, to me that's... how. Well, hold on, hold on. Explain to me how one of the yeah. greatest competitors in the National Hockey League, a Con Smythe winner, a guy whose arrival in Toronto was heralded as he is going to transfer through osmosis a championship drive to people that don't have it, and he is going to settle yeah. for being. A babysitter in Chicago on a terrible hockey team? Is that what I am to believe? (laughs) I just wonder about the free agent market, and you're in a position if you want to bring in a veteran who's won the Stanley Cup and has been through everything in the NHL who could come in on, like to your point, this is not going to be a team that's good for two or three years, but has settled with coming in on... Uh, on a, uh, a a two or three year contract, albeit for big money, uh, and we all know that the the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have a lot of cap space to deal with here. I don't know that you'd go. I, I, I don't. I don't know that he'd be doing a disservice to either the player or to Connor Bedard if it's someone like Ryan O'Reilly coming in. Like, what is it? What is O'Reilly I, looking at right now? Like, I look at this and I say, this is a great opportunity for him to get one more big payday. He's won the Stanley but, Cup. But is that he's won the Is trophy. that the priority though? Like is it not the priority to win? Like wouldn't he go sign with a team where he's going to be like wouldn't he sign with Colorado before he'd sign with Chicago? Like I I, I don't know the, the guy I you're describing again, I, I, the, I, I, the guy I, I you're say, describing I, is No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know that he wants to go back to Colorado. So I can't speculate. I've been there once before. I don't know if he wants to go back. That's because I've thought about Colorado I'm saying, too. I just don't know if he wants to go back there. That type of team. The guy you're describing for Chicago is much more, I think, in like the Nick Foligno lane than it is the Brian O'Reilly lane. Like I, I think I think you're right. Like Bedard needs a veteran that could show him the ropes, preferably somebody who maybe you know, it, like O'Reilly was a a highly touted offensive player at one point. You know, and and went through that whole thing. You know, but he's. The veteran guy yeah. that's going to sign in Chicago, I don't think is going to be on a Ryan O'Reilly level, unless I'm completely wrong. I mean, the guy that should okay, sign there is Patrick Kane, but but he might be done <laughs> for Chicago for what he told us. Uh, uh, I've I've asked a couple of people. I was talking to Lazarus on the program about this yesterday, and I said the same thing to Friedman. Yeah, that ship has sailed. Um, that ship has sailed. We're close to sailing here. Real quick, what what, what do you look for? We talked about the Maple Leafs playing. What do you look for tonight? Real quick, thirty seconds. Oilers, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I look for Edmonton to get at least three power plays by the 10-minute mark of the second period and score on at least one of them. One power play for the majority of that game, Eric. That, dude, yeah. that is that is that is class. You love the refs. I know the refs putting their whistles away because they know if they call two penalties, they're going to score on one of them because mm-hmm. they are a 56% conversion rate. It happens to every great power play, and it happened to the Oilers in game three. All right. Uh, on that, we'll wrap. Uh, good as always, my friend. Uh, we will talk to you in seven days. All right. Take care.
There he is uh, from ESPN, the great Greg Wyshynski, MVSW Redux, each and every Wednesday here on the program.